Hello and welcome to, uh, well welcome back after the break I probably probably should say, for the first Classic Teams podcast here at Football Radar for, for some months. Uh, this this podcast has been, been months in the planning since our previous podcast on Wolfsburg. Uh, this time we're going to be tackling the uh, nine times champions, nine times champions of Scotland, uh, Rangers team from the late 80s through most of the 90s. Um, Sam. Uh, hello. Hello. Sam Langan to my right, a uh, football radar veteran these days. <laughs> <laughs> to his right, uh, Charlie Hewton. Hello, Charlie. Hello. Uh, and to his right, Ben Stebbings. Hello, Ben. Hello. Uh, I'm Adam White, and hopefully I'll be guiding the conversation for the next 45 minutes or so uh, over our chat on this on this Rangers team. Lots of classic and very niche and very sort of iconic players in this team that hopefully we'll, we'll cover uh, over those nine uh, league titles. So Sam, could you give us a bit of a rundown of, of this team's success to start with? Yeah, well, I mean, so it all kind of starts in the late the late uh, 80s, really, and Celtic win the 87-88 the season, and Rangers don't even finish second in that year, Hearts come second, and at this point, Sunes is manager, he started in, in May 86, um, but it's from 88 to 89, while Sunes is charge, and then Walter Smith sort of takes over in 91. But they win it, yeah, nine titles in a row to 96-97, which yeah is a phenomenal achievement. And um, yeah, I'm not sure, not sure it can be bettered really. You know, so Sunes um, leads for Liverpool, and I always think that's quite interesting because he was player manager at um, at Rangers. And even though Steven Gerrard currently isn't obviously player manager, it probably, probably the, have to be there, the same <laughs> the same transition will probably happen. So I imagine that's probably a reason why um, Gerrard perhaps had his first job there in a way that. That's why Sunis got his first managerial kicks and then went on to Liverpool to, to manage them. So, yeah, that'll probably happen. But anyway, Big Walter takes over in uh, in April 91 and, yeah, just carries on this phenomenal rise. I think it's worth mentioning along the way that um, the 92-93 season, because that's when Rangers very, very nearly got to the Champions League final. The 92-93 season was the first time that the... Champions League came into the format that we sort of know where mm. it had a group stage and even though there wasn't any um, uh, any semi-finals it just went into a final because there was um, like a qualifying rounds and then it went into two groups and the winners of both those groups ended up in a final mm. um, but yeah Rangers were in a group with um, they were in a group with Marseille uh, Seska Moscow and uh, Club Bruges and um, and actually, like they were, they were very, very close. It, they on the final day, um, or the, on the final um, group game, anyway, they were level on points with Marseille. And um, it was just on that game that, um, unfortunately, Marseille bettered their result. Um, they they beat Club Bruges, while um, Rangers could only drew with Siska Moscow. Um, so really, really unfortunate. But yeah, they were the first team, first British team to represent. Um, yeah, represent us in um, in the Champions League group stages. No shame to start losing to that Marseille side, although a contentious period of Marseille's history with with Bernard Tappy, but Alan Bokšić, um, Didier Deschamps, Abidi Pelé in that team, they're a great side and won obviously won the tournament uh, overall. So. Yeah, and um, Rain, uh, over the two over that sort of group stage, you, as we as we sort of know it now. You play each team twice home and away, and and uh, Marseille didn't beat Rangers at that period. It was um, it was two draws. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they were really so you could call them one of the strongest teams in Europe at that point, really. Mm-hmm. And um, and actually in the second round they beat Leeds in what was dubbed the, the Battle of Britain, and they beat beat Leeds home and away, two mm-hmm. uh, one. So um, so yeah, they were showed you how you know how good they were really at the time, and how yeah they were sort of 
towards the top of um, of the European football teams. It says quite a lot about Scottish football, sort of traditionally, the strength of Scottish football. Because I guess it's not necessarily, you know, there's not a, a direct correlation between population and uh, success when you look at it overall. But so Scotland is still a relatively small country, obviously like quite a historical one with a deep, you know, footballing history. But throughout the sort of 60s, 70s, 80s, even 90s, they were they're a pretty strong nation. They're punching perhaps above their weight, given 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 you look at countries of similar size, don't do anywhere near as well by well, that period. Anyway. Yeah, that was like that was a point that I think was what I enjoyed about doing Rangers this year was it's kind of nostalgic of a time when Scottish football was good mm. and like it was became it seems particularly poignant now after that whole sort of Rooney going to non-league football and then. There are so many players now going from League One to Scottish Premiership, and then vice versa, I suppose. So just just to clarify, the Rooney going from non to from Scotland. You don't mean Adam, Adam Rooney. Adam, Adam Rooney. Yeah. yeah. The MLS is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been breaking oh, yeah. news or something. Adam. Yeah. There's also the other Rooney rule, isn't it? The confusing name. We need to use the first. Um, and yeah, it's just so enjoyable going over some of the players that were in that Rangers team. And like the level that they were at, um, be it we'll talk about him in a lot more depth. Bit like Laudrup and Gascoigne, and it's just there is an element of sadness that we don't have that so much anymore. Mm. And the fact that they could attract these players as well at their peak and could bring them over, um, in addition to sort of the signings they did get um, recently, uh, Ronaldo is in the original Ronaldo, whose agent came out and said the Rangers actually offered twenty million for him in nineteen ninety seven, so wow, the, the wow. year before the World Cup. And bizarrely, they actually put a clause in the deal to try and attract him where they said, you don't have to play any league games. We just want you for Champions League. Because wow. <laughs> um, they wanted to win it that badly, but they were willing to sort of like just say, yeah, you don't have to work weekends, just come in over midweek and <laughs> win us this Champions League. Um, and it didn't work out. It didn't, it didn't go through. But it shows sort of the, the level of ambition they had at the time that they were actually willing to spend that amount of money on, on a player of that, that stature. Wow, that's a great that's a great insight. I had, I had no idea. I mean, they didn't need Ronaldo; they had Ali McCoy. Well, yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> in that <laughs> strike partnership, yeah. actually, in that ninety-two, ninety-three season, McCoy scored 40, 49 goals in fifty-two games, thirty-four and thirty-four in the league. That's that's Messi and Ronaldo numbers, really. That's phenomenal. I did actually look at McCoy, and his record. So he scored like three hundred and fifty-five over his whole period, but he got over thirty goals in 86, 87, 87, 88. 91, 92, and 92, 93. So that is, that is messy. Quistessy. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to sort of focus in on, on a few seasons, but one we picked out uh, in particular was the, the 95, 96 season. It's sort of being peak classic uh, uh, Rangers, uh, mainly for uh, the, the players at the club at that time. They won the double that year, knocked out in the semi-finals of the League Cup over losing, uh, beating Celtic in the quarters. Um, but... Uh, uh, Sort of the pl- the peak of, of what we remember of that Rangers team, Sam. Yeah, I think they got their their record points total under Walter Smith. Under it was eighty seven points that season, um, and yeah, they were absolutely dominant. I think the Scottish Cup final was kind of dubbed the the Brian Loudrop final. I mean, he was absolutely phenomenal for them during that that period. Phenomenal, like <laughs> he's that good. I create an extra syllable. Phenomenal. Um, yeah, no, he he joined from Fiorentina in. Um, in, uh, in 1994 and it was for two and a half million and yeah over this period for Rangers he's got 33 goals in 116 games but it was just his creativity really his ability to to beat a man I think initially because he started so well for um, for Rangers he like he was being linked with Barcelona 
and uh, apparently Walter Smith said to him, "Oh, Brian, you've you've turned down Barcelona," and Laudrup said, "I prefer to play against Falkirk." So <laughs> that shows you maybe he sort of fell in love with the club a little bit, but um, maybe shows a lack of ambition as well yeah. <laughs> to an extent. But no, I think like prior to his move to Rangers, I think he was a bit sort of frustrating because. He he played, I think, for Bayern Munich, and he'd gone to move to to Italy. It hadn't really quite worked out for him, but I know obviously he was probably going down to a lower level. But that's when he was playing his best football of his career for um for for Rangers. And yeah, his link up with with Gordon Jury was absolutely amazing, especially in that that Scottish Cup final because it was basically Jury scored three and set the other two for Laudrop, who in turn supplies three assists for Jury. Mm. And it's just brilliant because all their goals, the the synergy between them is is so good. Like especially for the first one because. Laudrop sort of flicks it um, with his foot over to Jury. Jury heads it back to him, and then Laudrop sort of takes it on. Um, and yeah, the return header is back to Jury. He plays a perfect long ball for uh, Laudrop to half volley in. So it was just such an amazing goal to open up the game. And then, yeah, Rangers absolutely dominated from then on and went on to win uh, 5 1. Because he's sort of a quite an iconic player of the 90s, but Laudrop are in, in, in general of that period. And you look at the teams that he sort of played for, like Bromby, Bayern Munich, Fiorentina, Milan, Rangers, Chelsea, Copenhagen, Ajax. It's a great, it's a great career, but perhaps the lesser of the Laudrup brothers, given the other one played for both Madrid teams. I seem to remember that when he moved from one to the other, he was with the Barcelona team that beat Real Madrid 5-0 and then swapped over and was with the Real Madrid team that beat Barcelona 5-0 the following season. And he's sitting in the dressing room afterwards and said, I've won 10-0 here. (laughs) (laughs) But um, a great player nonetheless. And... uh, and it shows that 116 appearances for Rangers by far is his sort of most prolific club, if you like, in terms of appearances at least. So a bit of a Rangers legend. I got there was a Danish phrase used for Brian Laudrup, that's all, which was talk for cafe, mm. which literally means thanks for the coffee, <laughs> which yeah, it screams to me negative uh, connotations for me. It's like, <laughs> thanks for coming. <laughs> but... Um, but it's meant to be like surprise astonishment, like in that he would always do something that no one else could do and would shock you and amaze and mesmerise. And I think like having the likes of him and um, and Gascoigne would have been like a rare sighting for Rangers and particularly exciting for the fans at that time. Oh yeah, I've got Gaza on Laudrup where um, he just said that Brian Laudrup was an amazing player in training, even if you knew exactly what Brian was about to do you still couldn't stop him and he remembers this moment in training where Stuart McCall is trying to get the ball off him eight or nine times but couldn't get the ball off him uh, when Brian was just doing the same trick over and over again <laughs> and I quite like this story because not only is it praise of Laudrup but it really feels like it's a real diss of McCall <laughs> <laughs> the same trick that's the bit that does it <laughs> not mixing up at all not required <laughs> Yeah, I think one of the you obviously think about Celtics being their uh, Celtic being their main rival. And I think probably one of the best matches between them over the nineties came in the ninety five ninety six season. It was three three between um, Rangers and Celtic, and yeah, it was an absolute sort of brilliant game really because uh, Celtic took the lead and Andreas Fom uh, scores an absolute screamer from outside the area, but then Rangers quickly equalised through Brian Laudrup and then. John Collins put Celtic ahead for a second half penalty, but then um, Ali McCoy's header from a Gaza free kick um, puts them. It makes it two-two. Then some absolutely shocking defending from Celtic, 
um, creates uh, the Rangers' third goal. It was a known goal from Gordon Marshall, but then uh, Pierre Van Hoydonk uh, replies pretty much immediately with a header to um, to make it three three. But it was an absolutely amazing game, really, and um, and yeah, I think really sort of well remembered during that period. It's worth saying as well that, that that result was sort of key to the title race in the end, considering there's only four points between them uh, when it actually finished that season. Uh, Celtic only lost one game the entire season to Rangers, uh, well, to, to anyone, but Rangers was the team who beat them, whereas Rangers lost three. So it was a incredibly close title race, and it kind of, I guess, how close it was was summed up in that game. As well as uh, as well as that game, there I pinpointed a couple of others uh, from that season, which. Uh, to me at least uh, seemed to kind of be big moments over the course of the season um, one of them was the 3-1 win against Aberdeen which actually sealed the title uh, second from last game um, I actually went 1-0 down uh, and then Gaza scored two ridiculously good goals uh, one of them he gets like a, a short corner to him just outside the area shimmies past two defenders and then blasts it past the keeper uh, and the next one, he, he runs from beyond the halfway line. Um, doesn't actually have to beat anyone. Everyone just backs <laughs> off. They literally back off all the way to their six-yard box. And he just puts it in. So it kind of shows, I guess, how scared these players were of these sort of these fantastic uh, sort of players like Gazza and, and Laudrup running at them. Um, and then he scored a penalty to make it 3-1. And they, uh, they won the league off the back of that. So that was, uh, yeah, uh, one of the, the big moments of their season, I think. And uh, kind of was... Uh, it was quite nice that Gaza was the man who sort of won that game almost single-handedly. Did you hear that one Gaza story about McCoist? No. With McCoist, where he... This was really bizarre, and it was in the same year, where Gaza was meant to have broken into Ali McCoist's house <laughs> during the season, <laughs> and then, like, apparently Ali McCoist was up with his wife. I was like, what's that noise downstairs? Went downstairs and was, like, with his, like, baseball bat or cricket bat, I don't know in Scotland and uh, went down and there was Gaza with his face in the fridge being like I just wanted a sandwich (laughs) (laughs) and I have no idea like why on earth that happened but I think it always sort of encapsulates Gaza quite well that he can even get away with that Mm. Um, yeah I think that Gaza Gaza's sort of legendary status is, is amped up by the fact that he does those kind of ridiculous things completely off the pitch he was obviously a wonderful footballer but um, there's so many sort of little stories like that which just which just sound ridiculous like why, why he thought to do any of those things has anybody seen the Gascoigne documentary by the way it was released about a year or two ago and it's, it's, it, was, it was I think it may have even been in cinemas for a, a little while I mean we, we, this, the Gascoigne section of this pod could be quite large so <laughs> if we want to stick with Loudon for a bit let me know but um, uh, there's a, it's sort of it's, it's a decent documentary uh, but Gascoigne in particular is obviously central to it I think he was in cinemas for a little bit and he um, he's very obviously typically very honest and very emotional throughout and um, about his sort of life story and some of the things that have happened to him are genuinely unbelievable and and you really feel for him throughout the throughout the course of the film because um, he's had ludicrous amounts of ups and downs and um, one of the things that Gary Lineker who's in the in the documentary quite a lot says about him is that um, I think he was he was at Spurs ring I think it was probably at Spurs but he says they had this fixer guy who, who was at the club or England national team I can't actually remember which one um, who would sort of help them out if they needed anything anything doing around, sort of around the place and Gascoigne had this big um, car like a van and he put a cone on the roof and asked this guy to say could you could you get the cone off the roof of my, my big van or car and um, the guy's climbing at the back and when, when not unbeknownst to him Gaz is sitting in the driving seat 
and he drives off with the guy holding onto this sort of ladder at the back of this van and he's sort of whizzing around roundabouts with this guy holding onto the back of this car um, and then sort of drives calmly back to the training ground and sort of drops him off but just I just you think that, that sounded really funny when I was sort of listening to it the first time when Gary Lineker was describing it on that documentary but if that had gone wrong like that guy could have, could have been seriously injured at least um, but it just shows that he's just a completely unique character that was willing to do this thing and doesn't really think about the consequences because that, that, that situation at, his, at, at Ali McCoy's house could have gone completely wrong as well but he got away with it he gets away with everything doesn't he yeah I think there does seem to be an element of like doing before thinking but that's I think yeah. can be quite an attractive quality if the doing is always enjoyable it's banter in the old school sense of the word isn't it yeah, like, it's, 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 I think the thing about Gazza as well, this is probably the last time he actually was playing well consistently because mm. it's obviously, when he came to Rangers, this was his big move back to British football. He joined from Lazio uh, for £4.3 million, um, in July '95, And it was just kind of like a bit of a homecoming really for him because he was so well loved after you know his performances for England. And he was one of these footballers that had universal acclaim really due to his ability and as we've alluded to, his personality. And yeah, in, in Rangers, he you know he, he won a few titles, he won some cups, and he performed very, very well. And then it was kind of when he moved back to England. Was it to Middlesbrough? Was that the next yeah. move for him? Yeah. And then that's when, you know, his, his demons got too much for him. And, you know, he had, I'm sure he had some quite good games for, for Middlesbrough, but he could never replicate what he'd done for the in his, previously in his career. So, yeah, Rangers was the last club that he really showed what a good player he was. Mm. And interestingly, he joined uh, in the same summer as Oleg Solenko, who was the top scorer in the, for Russia in the 94 World Cup. And uh, Solenko obviously was, was terrible for Rangers, I think he hardly <laughs> played, but again, would have been difficult to get ahead of McCoist, Gascoigne, Laudrup and, and Dury. Yeah. He was he was top goal scorer though, but like Russia left in the group stage and he was only top goal scorer because he scored five yeah, in that 6-1 game. It was Cameroon, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I think he was the only player to be win the Golden Boot while only playing in the group stage. Yeah. And I also read that he was the only player to be the Golden Boot winner in the Under-20 World Cup and the full World Cup. That's very nice. he played eight times for Russia and scored six goals in that World Cup, and they're all in that World Cup, so he's, which is a bizarre record, isn't it? Eight and six, all of them at a World Cup and your top goal scorer. That's very unusual. I think, yeah, I saw he played one game for um, Ukraine, Ukraine well. before mm, Russia, yeah. which was kind of weird. Uh, oh, wait, I do have one more bizarre fact about Solenko. Is that, uh, this isn't even very interesting, but he <laughs> did manage the Ukraine beach football team <laughs> yeah, I saw that in 2003. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's, he's clearly like a specialist tournament player, isn't he? You bring him in for these beach tournaments for World Cup and <laughs> leave him out for friendlies. He's a, he's a Royal, Royal, Royal Royce, you don't drive him to the shops, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Is, is Ukraine got a strong beach football tradition? I don't know. It's, uh, it doesn't seem like the most beach footballing country. Does it? Yeah, I also wanted to uh, talk about another sort of what I'd say is a key game from that season, not maybe because it was uh, as important to win the title, but just because it kind of showed the, the power uh, Rangers possessed um, in terms of attacking football. Uh, so they lost to Hibs, one of their three defeats that season, uh, earlier in the season. Uh, and in the next game at home against Hibs, they beat them 7-0 uh, around Christmas. Um, and yeah, Gordon Jury got four goals. Uh, they, like, pretty much everyone took it in turns to just absolutely obliterate this Hibs team and just kind of showed how dominant they were at that, that point. Um, and also, it's a, a quite good game to bring up because it's the famous game where uh, the ref dropped his yellow card and Gaza picked it up yeah. and, and booked the ref uh, uh, and then got a, a yellow card in return. Did he actually get a booked in return? He did, yeah, yeah. Sort of, oh, wow, that seems ridiculous. Isn't it? <laughs> 
I guess it's maybe interesting as well with Gaza because he he obviously went on to score that goal against Scotland in Euro 96 mm-hmm. while he was playing for Rangers so like you know when he must have gone back to play the following season that must have just been just yeah he can't have been uh, yeah, too, too popular yeah mm-hmm. and it was over actually Colin Hendry who would later go on and play for for Rangers and did you see Colin Hendry recently came out and turned for a, for an amateur side oh, did he? Did yeah he? yeah he, I think he joined Rangers sort of quite late on it was either like in the late 90s or just as the, the naughty started but um, yeah he was asked out of retirement by uh, by an amateur side and, and he went and played and was man of the match so oh, really? um, yeah <laughs> I think he's 50 now or is he yeah and he's 50 has but he still got the big hair st- yeah he's still got the hair yeah he's still there uh, still same sort of hairstyle but um, yeah it just shows you it's all playing defence is all in the brain you don't, <laughs> don't need pace you just need to be able to read the game are you a defender by any chance oh, I have been playing defence recently yeah <laughs> <laughs> Excellent reader. Um, I guess it's it's worth like referencing their Champions League display that season as well, since we're focused on it. Pretty pretty good. Uh, yeah, they they, <laughs> they went out of a group stage, um, but they they had a group with uh, the eventual winners Juventus, who they lost to twice, and the following year's winners Dortmund, who they drew with twice. So it wasn't as if they kind of uh, had an easy run in there. Uh, I think they just kind of got did by circumstance a little bit. I think what you can differentiate them with um, Celtic. So Celtic, their squad seems to they basically just have Van Hoydonk, <laughs> and they probably have some others. But he was their main player, and he was top goal scorer by quite a way with twenty six. And then I think like second top goal scorer was was good old Gordon Jury, and with like seventeen, McCoy sixteen, Gascoigne fourteen. And I think it shows that like in comparison, instead of just having one talisman, they've got a whole team of great players with goals. All over the place. Tally's men. Tally, they had Tally's men. <laughs> yeah, so it's after the like 95-96 season where I think Rangers, that's when they sort of, they slowly start to decline really because they target more European investment and some are successes but mostly mostly it just doesn't work as well really. I mean the the good signings of, of Brian Laudrup and, um, and Gascoigne really, they, they, I think they they just aren't as successful, really. I mean, it was in 97-98 where um, they buy Lorenzo Amoruso, Sergio Perini, Marco Negri and uh, Gennaro Gattuso, who obviously goes on to do better things elsewhere. But, um, yeah, it's that 97-98 season where they, uh, yeah, they, they unfortunately lose the title to Celtic and uh, they actually don't win anything that year. Um, and that's when Walter Smith decides to, to leave. I think it's in, in April or May that year that he... Um, that he leaves, but um, yeah, it's a shame really that um, Marco Negri, especially because he started that season so so well, because he actually gets thirty-seven goals in forty games, and he was like he, you know, he had that amazing first season, and it looked like he was going to go on and become, you know, uh, like a figure in 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 Scottish football, and then perhaps even get a move to a to a slightly better team or a better league, but um, yeah, it's it's kind of a bit tragic what happens to him because. Um, I've got a bit of a quote or story from the Guardian, which is talking about Marco Negri in um, in yeah in, in 2000, and it all goes like this: It's like every week Marco Negri ranges long-serving reserve team striker and an estimated 18,000 pounds per um, per month at the start of the season or per week even at the start of the season he hadn't kicked the ball for Rangers in 26 months, with the exception of a brief substitute appearance against Morton in the Scottish Cup. He arrived from Perugia for three and a half million in 1997 under Walter Smith and scored. 23 goals in 10 games, the best strike rate in Europe. And that was sort of at the beginning of the season, but the warning signs were already there. Um, 
Negri refused to celebrate his goals with more than a handshake and managed to look aloof even while hitting the back of the net. He kind of had this way of scoring goals and just like just looking miserable, just not really caring. It was he was just a bit sort of very mysterious and it was kind of he socialised with only fullback Perini, who obviously had joined at the same time as him, and um, they were playing squash together. And during one of the matches, Negri was hit in the eye and he was out for weeks and. Um, once he recovered from from that, he just lost lost all his power. He lost all his ability, and that's when he started to become in and out of the team. Really, um, under Dick, when um, Walt Smith had left and Dick Advocat was managing him, he sort of played. He was playing in and around the the reserves, but he just could never get back. And in the end, they just had to to let him go. Really, and it's such a fall from grace for someone to score thirty seven goals in four games in the first season to to you know being like. A persona non grata, really, at the club. And Yogi Alberts, who actually went on to do fairly well for Rangers in the end, mm. he said that when he, talking about Negri, that when he joined Rangers at the start, he was a fantastic goal scorer and a really important player in our time. His goals were really valuable. He was a nice guy, but very quiet in the dressing room. I didn't hang about with him much away from the stadium. I don't think he was that kind of guy that went clubbing or anything like that. So, yeah, I think he was like a just slightly more cultured and maybe just a bit um, alienated at the club, but. Since then, actually, like he's got a bit of a social media profile, hmm. and uh, Chris Boyd um, in November had a testimonial match at Kilmarnock, and Mark, I saw Mark and Negri promoting that, and he seems to be, I don't know, he's one of these footballers that, at the time, he probably took himself a bit too seriously, yeah. but now he sort of embraces Rangers, and he's always promoting them on, um, on, t- on Twitter and Instagram, so yeah, maybe he just sort of, when he was, during his playing career, he was just... Uh, yeah, just a bit too aloof and um, self-obsessed, but but now he yeah he fully fully embraces it. So yeah, he's sort of had a change of heart, change of personality, which is which is nice to see. Do, so what happened to him after Rangers? Do we know? Him? Did he did he leave and go back? He's, uh, he's Italian. Isn't yeah, he? yeah, he, he left and went back to to Italy, but he yeah his career just completely completely died. Really, just never could, could never get get back to the way he was. But um, he really from from seeing the sort of clips of him on YouTube, he really reminded me of Cantona. Like he was really strong, really clever, and and very very clinical and. You know when, you know when he was playing really, really well, he was absolutely untouchable. But um, yeah, it's just kind of trying to create that uh, that hunger from him. Or and I think after that injury, obviously something something just didn't like, clicked, yeah, and he uh, he was never able to form at the same level again. That is a good um, sort of example of bizarre injuries. So hitting the eyeballs, <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's uh, that's up there, isn't it? In the, I mean, I get why that this does come up too often, but in the virtual world. Marco Negri was a bit of a legend for me. It didn't go downhill after round <laughs> he, he actually joined Gillingham in the championship and fired me in through the playoffs. So. Oh, nice. There you go. If you, I'll get, contact him on social media. <laughs> Give him thanks. Yeah. Who was your go-to lower league club on like football or championship manager? Who was he, well, on championship manager, it used to always be Gillingham, just because yeah, nice. uh, I was from Kent. But... Yeah. Slowly learned to dislike them. <laughs> I always used to go for Southend or Charlton. I don't. I don't know why. Just I don't know. They just felt like two teams. Well, actually, when I was playing Championship Manager, Charlton were a bit better then. But yeah, Southend was a team I liked to build up and you know get to the Premier League. What 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 edition of Championship Manager would this been with Marco Negri? I think this is the blue one, 2000, 2001. You can okay. grab him for free right at the beginning oh, if nice. you're thinking of going back. Yeah. <laughs> if we're all like throwing in a uh, football manager and Championship Manager stories, uh, my go-to team was Cheltenham, oh, um, 
and uh, I, I got from up to sort of like the top league got into a Premier League won the Premier League eventually nice. um, and after about 10 years they were like we need to build a new stadium because I don't know Wadden Road 20,000 isn't going to 10,000 whatever isn't going to hold people in so they're like okay we've got to think of names for this stadium and I was like well I have won you the Premier League I've won with you 10 years I'm the obvious choice for you to name the stadium after and they uh, named it the Steve Cottrell Arena <laughs> and I quit the club the next day I was like I'm not having this that's brilliant <laughs> The Ben Stebbings Arena does sound good as well. I think it's more catchy than the Steve yeah. Cottrell Arena, definitely. <laughs> Park Ben Stebbings. <laughs> I was, I was just to finish off that. I was terrible at, for a football analyst. I was terrible at football manager. My my greatest achievement is finishing fifteenth in the Premier League with Man United and not getting sacked. <laughs> <laughs> Won the UEFA Cup. That appeased the board. <laughs> so we, we talked a lot about sort of some of the foreign imports. But um, some of the, the Scottish sort of heartbeat of this team that really really stuck out for me, uh, and 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 I again imagine most Rangers fans from this period, sort of Ali McCoy, Gordon Jury, um, some Scottish legends uh, in in that Rangers side over the course of that period. Charlie. Yeah, I think they are unappreciated, yeah. especially Gordon Jury, as as you said, the Brian Laudrup final in which he scored a hat trick in. Mm. I think kind of describes him well as always an unsung hero and overlooked when it matters and yeah he was just a great no-nonsense hard-working striker he was there for years and consistently performing year after year um, but to be on the same level as like Loudrop is pretty because so many goals in that period was was Loudrop finding Dury I don't know whether like maybe we're just not giving Dury enough credit really but maybe he was just at the same I don't know players have sometimes like are able to read each other and play off each other and yeah to be able to have that a relationship with with Loudrop perhaps makes him like a more intelligent player than we we gave him credit for. Yeah, I think that seems seems very fair. If you're going to be on Loudrop's level, you've got to be absolutely be yeah. good. He also had one of the best nicknames in football, Jukebox Jury. I oh, think. Jukebox like, Jury. Yeah, it's up there with one size fits all as <laughs> one of the best nicknames. Did, did you see Andy Gorham's nickname though? Yeah. it's really underwhelming <laughs> it's just the goalie <laughs> it's sort of like an American style nickname isn't it where it's really definitive but you know like in American football I have the pass yeah. you know it's sort of an amazing moment yeah. <laughs> Ali McCoy was a player that always stood out for me I, I, I always thought he was a, a brilliant a brilliant striker and especially in that period you look at his sort of record especially in the late 80s at the earliest sort of time in this it's Rangers sort of dynasty if you like he was a top scorer sort of six years in seven at the end of the 80s and I'm trying to think of a, of a of a greater Rangers player to be honest yeah and I mean he had two really unsatisfactory seasons at Sunderland like he barely scored any goals there and so he went back to Scotland and and yeah became absolutely lethal for, for Rangers I'm not sure if you guys know, but he was actually uh, in a film called A Shot at Glory with Robert Duvall really? in the early noughties, yeah. Um, well, like starring opposite him. Yeah, well, like a I, I, think it was, I think it was a part. It wasn't just sort of... Um, so basically he starred as Jackie McQuillan, mm-hmm. who was playing against Rangers in the cup final for Kilnocky FC, which is just <laughs> a word they thought sounded Scottish, <laughs> so they decided to put it as a team. Um, yeah, I, can, I can read a, like the two opening sentences of a Wikipedia article for that film if you want. Mm. Uh, a Shot of Glory is a film produced in 1999 and released in 2002 starring Robert Duvall and Scottish football player Ali McCoist. It had limited commercial and critical success. <laughs> <laughs> Long post-production as well, isn't that? Three years. Yeah. <laughs> McCoist obviously goes on to, to manage Rangers, doesn't he? And, um, I feel what, like he takes over when they sort of got liquidated and almost had to become like a new club altogether. 
um, he sort of becomes their manager, doesn't he? He gets them up to the, it's the Scottish Championship. Mm. Then I think Mark Warburton, with David Weir as his assistant, takes them up into the, the Scottish Premiership. Mm. Yeah. They spent two years in that level, didn't they? They finished mm. third one season because there was a particularly, I think it was 14 15. Yeah. There was a particularly strong Scottish Championship with Hibs and Hearts, possibly, in that division. Yeah. Only two can get promoted and they finished third. Um, arguably as strong as the Scottish Premier League. Like <laughs> but. Um, yeah, uh, definitely a club legend uh, in, in every sense. Not, not the only manager from that team, as there was Derek McInnes. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he actually ever played. Or no, he didn't play a huge amount. And then he left uh, to join Toulouse. Oh, really? Yeah. Derek McInnes played for Toulouse? Yeah, apparently. That's According that's to my that's notes, that's in the year <laughs> 2000. Fantastic stuff. Yeah, when they're in the second tier. Ah, I see, yeah. So bit, Toulouse have been a, a, sort of a bit of a yo-yo team over the course of the... Uh, Amazing co-commentator as well, McCoy. So I don't yeah. know if you heard him over the, the World, World Cup. Cup. Mm. Yeah, but can you remember the name of the the main commentator he was paired with? It's going to really annoy me now. John Champion. I think so. Yeah, it could have been John Champion. But they were the two best commentators, two like the best partnership over the yeah the the most recent World Cup because. McCoy's would always come up with this like historical fact about the city. Mm. I think it was something that John Champion had written down for him. But the way he just used to. Yeah, segued like into conversation. This this stuff about it was yeah about some sort of hit, like Russian history was was amazing really and yeah there was definitely I think sometimes it's really difficult for like a, a main commentator and a co commentator to have a sort of like a good and flexible sort of uh, way to talk to the to the audience. But yeah, Champion and McCoy were uh, were the dream team. Yeah, they were definitely the best. So if I watched because as I imagine we all did watch pretty much all the games at the World Cup when they were commentating, I thought, oh, this is I'm going to enjoy this even mm. if it's not a very good game. Yeah. Um, there, there was a big push to get them to commentate the World Cup final because they they were the best. You know, if when uh, France Croatia got to the World Cup final, they played their best team, and it should be the same with commentators, right? It should be the best performing best performing commentators get to commentate on the World Cup. I like final. the idea, like a public vote. For yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's quite good. Well, I think there was like a social media boost for 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 Champion and McCoy to to do it, but it never came to fruition, unfortunately. It's a shame. Yeah. On McCoy's off-field achievements, though, I feel we have to mention question of sport. Mm, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Him, I don't know who was he against there. Parrot, John yeah, Parrot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was when it was good. <laughs> it was good. It generally was good. Yeah. Then you're absolutely right. He was he's entertaining in, in in on there as he was as a co-commentator. To be honest. John, Ali McCoy is not John Parrot. John Parrot would be a terrible co-commentator. <laughs> <laughs> Go back to uh, Andy, the goalie <coughs> Gorham, uh, for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, although maybe he's a little bit insensitive now, um, he was sort of the focus of one of the greatest uh, fan chants in history, um, which is uh, he had quite a few personal problems and he was actually diagnosed with schizophrenia. Oh, wow. um, and the fans obviously sensitively responded to this by saying, uh, by chanting, two Andy Gorhams, there are only two Andy Gorhams. Wow. <laughs> yeah, which. Uh, Could not do that now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> A, bit, uh, a lot of invention, but maybe not the best way nice. to kind of. Mm. Yeah. Watch out. <laughs> yeah. There was one interesting. Does anyone remember when Andy Gorham moved to Man United? Mm. On lo- was it on loan? Was that in the, the Taibi? In two thousand and one, straight from Motherwell. And I don't think I think he might have only played like two yeah, games. Yeah, he did only play two. And then games. went back to Hamilton. Mm. But it was bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I completely forgot about that, but now you, you mention it. It was like when uh, Paul Jones, who was at Southampton, wasn't he? And he was he, he was in his late 30s. Do you remember him the Southampton Yeah, yeah. And he went on loan to Liverpool. He was like a lifelong Liverpool fan. Mm. And I think he went, yeah, he went on loan because they were absolutely desperate for a keeper. 
Uh, just to finish off uh, uh, our, our chat on this on this Rangers team, Ben, um, it's been a bit more tumultuous over the last decade or so for them, hasn't it? It, it has, um, and I guess kind of a lot of the problems they've had in recent years were almost sown a little bit in the success they had in the 90s, um, where uh, the chairman, David Murray's uh, spending policy was for every £5 that Celtic spend, we'll spend £10, which you know, maybe isn't the sort of the wisest thing to sort of approach a football club with. Um, but basically, just to give a, a quick rundown of, of his tenure at the club, um, he bought the club in, in 1988 um, and instantly fueled it with money. So you can, you can tell that his money kind of made a difference, uh, brought from instant success. Um, but also brought them a lot of debt uh, and they kind of overreached a little bit and, and when uh, he kind of decided to change his policy a little bit and sort of uh, try to maximise resources um, it kind of led to them uh, beginning to pay players uh, using an employment uh, an employee benefits trust which uh, basically means that uh, technically you're loaning players their wages rather than paying them so you don't have to pay tax mm. um, and this got them in, in trouble with the uh, HMRC um, who tried to claim for unpaid taxes and it kind of basically meant that he wanted to sell the club to to avoid all this kind of palaver of having to go through that um, and it kind of meant that no one wanted to buy the club because they thought if we, if we buy the club now we're just going to be done for all this unpaid taxes so it meant that the club's value really kind of plummeted uh, and when they were eventually bought by, a, bought by a guy called Craig White who bought them for one pound uh, and then plunged them into administration which eventually led to them getting liquidated uh, and obviously have to, having to be sort of reborn as a new Rangers, I guess. Um, so although, I mean, for all intents and purposes, Rangers are Rangers now as they were then, um, it's, it's a new club uh, sort of coming out of the ashes, basically. Um, and if you actually Google Rangers, the top last question is, when did Rangers die? Which kind of, yeah. I guess, shows you that, uh, yeah, there is kind of a bit of, uh, I don't know, a bit of controversy there about the fact that they just reformed and, and they'd taken all the history of the previous uh, Rangers and just kind of, taking it for themselves um, to an extent yeah well to sort of finish off really I think um, obviously it was very sort of sad to see Walter Smith leave in, in May 98 in, in Rangers worst, seri- uh, worst season during that period but um, he obviously does come back in, in January 2007 and it's in his second full season in 08-09 they, they win the league um, yeah get back to to win the Premiership and they win it two more times in, after that so they win it three in a row but um, even before that actually um, obviously Walter Smith he was so close to getting Rangers to that 1993 um, yeah, Champions League final but they come runner up in the UEFA Cup and uh, they just lose to um, Zenit St Petersburg in 07-08 so yeah, he nearly got European glory with, um, with Rangers but yeah I mean he'll, he'll go down as one of Rangers all time greatest managers really he was you know he was the the figurehead during that period and and all that success really and um yeah i think he's still still much loved in um in scottish football fantastic stuff right before we finish charlie your game has returned yeah return the quiz mm. uh hopefully we'll we'll all enjoy <laughs> <laughs> um so, so remind us of the of the idea so basically i just list off teams these are various teams that this player played for, and it is in chronological order. But some teams are missed off because some some players play for like twenty clubs, and sure. we've not got all day. <laughs> we'll open up with this one: Burnley, Everton, Rangers, Marseille, and um, back to Rangers. What was it? Which period was it during? Like the these are all players that played during uh, the Rangers period we were looking over, but. He clue is he had he had left I think I think he'd left by 95, 96. 
Trevor Stephen. Oh, yes, eight. Try another one. England. Uh, I was gonna say legend, but not really. <laughs> England player. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've got another one here. Um, Rangers Pala- Palace, Borussia Mönchengladbach, Newcastle, Brisbane Roar. Oh, uh, Craigmore. Yes. Very good. Very good. Next one. Rangers, Watford, Dundee, Bran, Liers, and Brisbane Roar. They're all going to end in Brisbane Roar. Yeah. <laughs> you don't often see it twice. Say those again. We've got Rangers, Watford, Dundee, Bran, Liers. Is that how you say that one? Yes, Belgium. Yes, Belgium, yeah. Uh, and Brisbane Roar. Is it another Australian? No. Oh, Curveball. <laughs> Gordon Petridge? No. How are we feeling on it? Charlie Miller? Uh, he was also foreign player of the year in the A League when he was at Brisbane Raw. So there you go. Um, we Very much part of that 95 96 team, Charlie Miller played a lot. Yeah. yeah, he was meant to be mixed in with the like his career when I think he was tipped on to be do good things, but his career kind of went downhill because he joined the sort of Gaza pub crawl crowd. <laughs> <laughs> and then I think Barry Ferguson sort of came in and took Advanced his place. Him. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but back to the quiz, we've got Dundee, Tottenham, Rangers, Kansas City Wizards, back to Rangers, San Jose Clash, and Everton. Lots of teams for you here. Everton last, so you went to the US twice and ended up at Everton at the end. Yeah. You do one more time, those teams? Dundee, Tottenham, Rangers, Kansas City Wizards, Rangers, San Jose Clash, and Everton. Terry Butcher? No. So we're like loads of these players have Evan connections as well. Loads of Rangers so players. Gordon Dury. Oh, that's so no. It's so common actually. The the Rangers to Everton route mm. is well well written. Well, Frodden, yes. Walter Smith, of course. Yeah. Richard Goff. Ah. I think he's, he's still <laughs> he's still a youth coach at Kansas. Oh, Maybe yeah. if I'd given you that clue, you'd have got it. Um. This one's another, I mean, it's quite a long one again. Go for it. All right. Swindon, Villa, Bari, Southampton, Rangers, Everton, Kansas City Wizards, and Chongqing Handao. <laughs> wow. Can you give us a nationality? English. Oh. Went to Bari. Rod Wallace? No. That's a good shout, that's though. Too, that's too late in his career, isn't it? Yeah, the other Stephen? Oh no, no. Oh. Not Mark Haley, he played for AC Milan. No, but he was he was in that. We didn't mention him once, yeah. actually. <laughs> a bit of a legend. Put us out of our room. Oh, we've got Paul Rideout. Oh, ah. Paul Rideout. I do have a few more, but oh, I think, they're, they're, I think if, anything, we, uh, if you've got an easier one, <laughs> yeah. like, they're a little tougher. Oh no. Give us no. one more, just because we haven't, we haven't done so well. Yeah. yeah. How hard do you want to go? The easiest possible one there is. <laughs> easiest one left? Yeah. Let's go with Ipswich, Rangers, Coventry, Sunderland. I'm sure it's as easy as, as it sounds. As Nationality? Thought. English. England legend. Legend. Is this Butcher? This is Butcher. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. There we go. Yeah, nice. Top stuff. Fantastic. <laughs> okay. Um, well, uh, I think that all, all that is left is for me to say thank you, Sam. Thanks. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. It's goodbye from all four of us. Have a good week. 
And we'll see you next time on the Classic Teams podcast here at Football Radar. Goodbye.